0: Hi, I'm Scott Cooper, and welcome to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. In this episode, Justin Chesham, head coach of Christopher Newport University Men's Soccer, and I welcome Ryan Martin, the head coach of USL side Loudoun United. Ryan has worked with great soccer minds, and that developed his coaching style. He discusses lessons he learned from his influences, how he evaluates players, and the path from college to professional soccer. This perspective is valuable for anyone looking to advance to the next level. Thank you, Coach Martin. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast and with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on social media as well. The links can be found at matchplayrecruit.com.
1: Yeah, well, Scott, Justin, appreciate you guys having me on and, and uh, yeah, I look forward to spending some time with you. Um, you know, I, I guess, you know, my background, just to, I've kind of had a lot of different hats I've worn over the last couple of years in particular, but I grew up in Columbus, Ohio um, and, and and basically, ended up playing for my father at Ohio Western University, and in, in Columbus, Ohio, or just north of Columbus, Ohio. And, and uh, you know, who's now the all-time witness soccer coach in the history of college soccer, which is um, pretty impressive. Obviously, I don't think I'll ever catch him for sure, or many people. But uh, uh, so, I spent four years playing for him, and then I, I had a, a good experience. I, I went to Salt Lake City, played there, kind of in the reserve league for a year. Went to Iceland. Played there for a little bit in Germany for a little bit, um, you know, really trying to more extend my career as long as I could until, you know, jumping into what I, I really wanted to do, which was coaching, you know, and I think that was, um, you know, something I always wanted to do, obviously, growing up with, with my dad and growing up on a soccer field, you uh, you know i i knew from an early age uh in particular that's what i wanted to do so even when i was in salt lake or or overseas you know i was always writing down the sessions and and you know the way people you know dealt with players especially when i spent the year in in salt lake it was interesting because you had you know eddie popes and jeff cunningham's and jason crisis and um you know some big personalities and it was interesting to see you know how the staff dealt with that um after that, I jumped into um, I went to Wake Forest University in 2007 and I started as the volunteer assistant coach there um which i've i've heard that they've done away with since then i think you can now pay volunteers at the division one level and they're like a third assistant now but -hmm. at that point you 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 sign for zero dollars and you make money on camp and you do youth sessions in the evening and you know you, you try to get your way in there which which um you know i did so i i spent 2007 to 2015 at wake forest university and um my first year, we we won the national championship. So, um, I I thought I was like, wow, coaching's easy. You know, you, you go in for a year and you you win win the championship. This must happen every year. And uh, you know, it was very fortunate to work for for Jay Vidovich there, who's now at University of Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, we I think we went to three final fours and we had 15 or 20 guys drafted in the MLS. And, you know, I recruited, you know, probably the most famous kid to come out of college, Jack Harrison, you know, from high school to Wake. And then, um, you know, I left before he got to Wake. I went, when, when Jay Vidovich went to Portland, um, he wanted to take a jump um, to see what the next level was like. And, and he went to Portland and, and took that leap of faith and, and tried to get into the MLS. And, you know, for one reason or another, or it didn't work out, and he went back to college. You know, I went a different direction and, and went to the Columbus Crew with, with uh, a really tremendous staff at the time. Um, you know, and when I was there, I, I knew the staff was good. I didn't understand how. Um, you know, maybe good. It would be, it was, you know, Nico Estevez who's now the head coach of Dallas to Josh Wolf, who's in Austin, Pat Onstad, who's, you know, obviously doing great things there. Asher Mendelson is with Pat in Houston. And then you got Greg with the national team and, um, you know, a, a really impressive staff he put together and it was, it was really good learning environment. Um, I spent three months there. It was a lot shorter than I thought it would be. Um, I got a call from John Harkes, the, the former national team player. And um, I recruited his son, Ian, to Wake Forest and coached him at Wake Forest. And he went on to win the Matt Kerman Trophy. Um, so John and, and his wife, Cindy, and I became very close. And, and he calls me out of the blue and he says, you know, would you like to start a professional soccer team with me in, in Cincinnati? And uh, at that point, nobody had any idea what what was about to be brewing in in, in to Queen City. And, um, you know, so John and I went in there, put a team together from scratch. At that point, we, we were kicked off in the USL Championship and we finished third in the league, um, you know, in our, in our first our first and only year. And it was an incredible experience. We, you know, I was his assistant, him and I put the team together from scratch. And then, um, you know, then we, we made a decent little run there. But the, the, the crazy thing was we had crowds of, you know, 23, thousand and pouring rain. And then we played Crystal Palace in a friendly match and we sold out a 36,000 seat stadium to, you know, watch a USL game, which was, you know, at that point, just unheard of, you know, so for us, it was a tremendous experience. And then, you know, after a year, there was some you know, politics involved and, um, you know, John went uh, one way and I ended up getting offered the, the academy director position at DC United. In 2017, which I which I took and and at the same time I coached as well because for me I I couldn't stop coaching because that was really my true passion. When you start getting into the academy director uh, role, there's a lot of politics, a lot of political, you know, a lot of different Administrative tasks, recruitment tasks, which are great, but but my passion's always been coaching, um, and and we you know had some pretty good success. Had a lot of kids go to different top universities, and and had a lot of kids go. The homegrown route, including you know uh, Kevin Paredes, who's you know recently named the uh, you know U.S. Soccer's Young Player of the Year, to Griffin Yao, who's um, you know in Belgium, and Brian Kao and Ted Kudipietro, and and you know even like an Adam Lundegard, who hasn't gone pro yet, was the captain for Clemson and you know winning the national championship you know, this past season. So had some tremendous players come through there, and then in 2019, I just finished my uefa b license and and i got a call to take over loud and united um which was was and and basically until this year the second team for dc united so it was really a continuation of what i was trying to start in the academy of helping players develop and grow and get to where they want to go but in that professional realm of between um you know an academy level and a dc united you know mls level which is a big jump for kids to uh to to jump in and then you know that brings me four years later and and uh still allowed in here and and uh still trying to learn get better i've taken my UEFA since then i'm currently in my u.s soccer pro license and you know still trying to help players get to where they want to go and trying to continue to grow on on my journey as well man
2: that's it
1: so that, that was a long winded answer. So that that probably ended the whole show right there, right? Yeah, we're <laughs>
2: done now.
0: All right. Thanks, Ryan. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Great talking.
2: Well, there's a lot of directions here. You know, uh, I mean, what did what did you enjoy the most? I mean, you, you've been a college player, college athlete, win the pros and scout, and now you're a head coach. I mean, I would imagine having control is going to be the exciting one. That's, that's I've, I've loved being a head coach the most. But, You've been in a lot of different places. What has been like, oh, man, I, I really enjoyed my time there and kind of like what was the what's the rationale there? Why why did you enjoy that the most?
1: Yeah, I don't think there's been really one that I've enjoyed the most. I think they've all brought different um, parts to to uh, my growth and, and, and where I am, I think when you're an assistant coach, you know, whether that was at Cincinnati or, you know, Wake Forest oh, yeah. it, it's great because you, you don't have the pressure that you do as a head coach. You know, you, you don't, you know, you're not the one criticized for you know making the wrong decision mm-hmm. or, or, you know, bringing in the wrong player or different things there, but you get to run training sessions and you are, are a little bit more free to really focus on the soccer side and, 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 be that part. When I I think when I look at, you know, being the head coach here is is great, but there are also, you know, hurdles here because you're navigating as a second team, you're always navigating between DC United and the Academy. And, you know, what does the first team manager want? And if he if he takes uh you know calls him on a Friday night at eight PM and he says, I want Ted Cudi Pietro or Jackson Hopkins or whoever, they take him, you know, and, and really? there's nothing you can do about it except for adapt and and try to, you know, do the best you can. And it comes with, you know, at the end of the day, fans, the league, you know, most people don't care because it's, you know, did you win? Did you lose? And right. it's the reality of the business, um, you, you know, but I do, I do enjoy having more control. I do enjoy, um, you know, different parts. So I, and you know, then the playing part, I always love the game, which is, I think why we collectively you know on this call and people listening are involved in the game at any level right you love the game for what it is no matter how great you are or how far you go it's the the common theme between a Christian Pulisic and you know a guy you know playing at you know Christopher Newport Ohio Wesley and they love it right and Mm -hmm. it's uh, Uh, you you know, one gets paid a little bit more and has a little more pressure, but the reality is the same, that there is a love for it. You know, so I I don't think I can look at one, one particular moment and say, you know, that was the greatest job or, or whatever. And then I I also take, you know, I have three really big mentors that I, I I learned from as well. You know, my, the first being my father and, you know, I don't think, you know, he's obviously just written a book, but I think he could write a lot more in terms of what he's given to the game and to individual players. And, you know, he, was on the forefront of, you know, really for coaching, for coaches, you know, on the forefront of the mental side of the game and mental performance and goal setting. You know, he's been doing that since you know, the eighties, you, know, you know, a lot of people nowadays, and, and he's done a really good job of, um, you know, valuing the person over the player, you know, which is a, a really good message there. You know, then I, when I went with Jay Vidovich at, at, at wake, it's, it was like a masterclass of, of training in soccer and and putting together a game identity and a philosophy and implementing it into the field. And, you know, he was honestly the best I've seen to this day, including, pro coaches on the field, you know, and, um, you know, then John Harkes is, you know, very different where he's the uh, big personality and he's a tremendous man manager and, and, uh, people, and, you know, he can get another 10 to 20% out of people just from a conversation. And, and, um, you know, and his optimism and his ability to influence a team to really run through a wall for him. And, and, and you know, that was probably the first time I learned really what a man manager is. And when people use that term, um, you know, John was a key one. And obviously, you know, he comes from a line of, you know, Bruce and Bruce Arena and, and that kind of group, which is known for man management. But you don't really know it until you see it. And you're like, ah, oh, that that makes sense. So that's. um. Yeah, I've learned so much, and, and grateful for the different stops, and, and uh, you know, it has led me here. And, and I'm excited to see you know where this year goes in my career and my journey. And you know, if I can learn as much as I have since 2007 in the next 16 years, you know, that's puts me at 56. I'm still 20 years younger than my dad, so that and he's still going, so it gives me some hope. <laughs> you will still only
2: have uh, half the wins he has.
1: I don't know if I'll even get there. But Goodness. yeah,
2: <laughs> I told someone the other day, uh, like, I think Steve ended up with close to 300. I was like, I don't think I'm like, your, your record's safe. I'm not making it that long. Right? <laughs> don't, don't worry. Uh, I'm thinking about you, your first week at Columbus Crew with that amazing staff that you were talking about. and I mean, you go to your first meeting, you're probably like, I'll just take notes, guys. You know, you just uh, if you, I'm not going to say anything yeah. once you call on me. I mean, with those many guys, I mean, what did you pick up there? What was like, like, wow, what was the theme of just all those great guys that ended up being head coaches at the highest level? I mean, what what did you pick up there that you could give to people?
1: Yeah, I think, I think and, I, and I didn't really list Greg and that group as one because I was only there for three months. You know, I, I honestly, you know, I would have loved and been really happy staying there for six years with that group. I mean, sure. it was really a good group. And, and my role when I was with them was basically overseeing the U23 team and, and helping scout for the draft and, and preparing that. And then I was going to help in the academy and do some different roles there. But I think when I looked at that staff, I, I think one was, I was really impressed by how Greg operated um, a staff in terms of specific roles responsibilities. and I think he did a really good job with that in terms of the players as well. The players knew and the staff knew here's my role, here's my responsibility. you know if it you know does it go right, does it go wrong? If it goes wrong, well, I was told what it was and his expectations and his standards never really slipped to what he what he was doing. Um, You know, I think when you're in the day to day in a professional soccer team, there's so much going on between individual egos and contract negotiations and scouting players. And and then then that doesn't even include on the field preparing for Red Bull. So I, I think when you're managing all that stuff, I think he did a tremendous job delegating and really using the staff to the best of his ability um, in, in terms of allowing a Josh Wolf or a Nico to teach and implement and put their stamp and their game model together, um, you know, was really, really good. And, and his game model um, and the way he wanted to play at that time, the way he could articulate it and simplify it to players, was was really really impressive and, and when I look back at, at that it was um, you know the attention to detail the simplicity in which he talked and and could Relay it was um, was really, really impressive. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was just a good group of humans, too. You know, when I when I still talk to most of them or text here and there, it's like they're just good people. And, and they're and, and I think that's why they're doing so well in their career is They they truly are good people and they and they believe in doing something one way. Um and most of them, you know, have succeeded in some level in, in playing a, a certain philosophy and a team that wants to play, and they all kind of have that in them in different kind of capacities.
2: Yeah, no, that's great. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about Loudon. Um, this this podcast originally started as a uh, you know we wanted to really help kids for the recruiting process and finding a good home, and that's definitely morphed. I mean, you're 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 not a college coach, you know, we're talking about the pro environment here. Um, So kind of, it's kind of twofold. How, how are you creating your Loudon roster? How you create, like, how does that look? Where does that come from? I'm sure there's ties to DC or everything that you've done in the past. And then what's the college landscape look like for you? Are you getting kids from school? Are they a couple years removed? Are they going through a different pro bracket and then coming to you or Are they drafted and then they play for you before going to MLS and, you know, kind of how's it all tie together starting with your roster and then, Mixing in the college landscape with that,
1: yeah, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's important. And I tell players this, especially when I was in the academy, there there really is no one pathway to being a pro. You know, everybody wants to be a pro, and I think people have different uh, journeys to get there. You know, some might might be you skip college and you go to an MLS team and you and you go right away. Others mm-hmm. might be you know, like you know, I always use like an Ian Harks for example. Like you go for four years and then. You go pro after, and you have a degree from Wake Forest, and then he goes to Europe, and he's still playing in the MLS. You know, and I think, you know, when when you when you still look at the the quality of kids and players in college, it, it's a it's still a really really high level um, of what they're doing. You know, our makeup of our team this year. So so in the past, it's been more of you know what what does you know Wayne Rooney or or Ben Olsen or Hernan you know what what who do they want to send to us and then we kind of build it around it or who are the top academy kids and kind of plug holes around it this year we tried to put together really 21 to 22 professional players and then try to really help integrate two or three academy kids um in terms of what we're looking to do our makeup is mostly i'd say mostly uh, the kids have spent some time in college in this current roster because I think, um, it's important. The, the maturity level of, um, you know helps the maturity and the growth of what they're doing some of the players we got through like you know when I was doing helping do the draft with like uh DC United a lot of times we'd be eyeing players for Loudon so whether that was like an Aiden Rocha who came from you know Georgetown or you know Alex Nagy University of Vermont you know these are guys Sophie and Jafal like these are guys that we identified as really top college kids that okay, maybe make DC, maybe not, maybe grow into something down the road and and can become something, you know? And and so that's why we still have an Alex Nagy. And then, you know, I have used quite a few of my connections in terms of, you know, people I trust and in in terms of how do I evaluate who the person is first, before you look to get, um, you know, a player. I, I think it's so important when you look at, at, um, Building a culture and an environment is, is who is the person and how do they fit and what are their ambitions? You, you know, so when I look at like our our makeup of our team, I think we've got three young guys from Stanford, and and you know, so obviously I talked to Jeremy Gunn on that. I've got two guys from University of Pittsburgh, and you know, so Jay's obviously you know giving me information on who these people are. We've got um, you know guys who spend time at FIU, University of Pennsylvania, you know, uh, UConn, Saint John's. Um, uh, Notre Dame, you know, we've kind of circled the, the wagon of, you know, guys that um, have had experience, have had experience in the pros, have maybe had something that didn't work out and had to fight a little bit of adversity and try to try to find their way in. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first thing we always look for is, you know, who are they as a person? What are their ambitions? You know, what do they want to do in the game, um, and how can we help them get there? And and then from there it becomes, um, you know, okay, can we fit them into the roster budget wise, et cetera? But um, I'd say eighty to ninety percent of our current roster has some type of college experience. Okay, yeah, that's. Uh, I mean,
2: that's always curious for us. I mean, you know, obviously we're Division three, so the the pro the pro angle isn't discussed as much, but uh, a lot of the, a lot of the division one kids and a lot of kids that I even recruit talk about pro soccer and what that looks like. And, you know, we have sent kids abroad to to play in Australia and Sweden. And so I'm just curious how that looks for you guys. It looks like, uh, yours is more going through the draft and going through kids. on that route, do you have tryouts? I mean, that sounds funny to ask that type of question. Like, do you have anything like that?
1: Yeah, we do. We, we, we ran one about a week ago. We, we basically had, um, You know, talking to different agents, talking to different coaches, we had probably, we had two days. We had one day that was 80 80 kids that it was wide open to anybody that wanted to join. And then we had a second day where we basically vetted probably 20 25 guys that we knew through coaches or agents. And then we added five from the open tryout, you know, but in the, in the combine or the second day, we probably had probably Sixty to seventy percent were college. We had, you know, guys that are, you know, top division three all Americans to, you know, you know, Ohio Westings goalie came down. To, you know, we'll take a look at anybody because. You really never know, you know, where they come from. I remember when we were at Cincinnati, you know, John and I, you know, signed one of my dad's players, Evan Lee, who's, you know, still playing at Greenville, you know, and it, it, and it, and I think he's their captain and MVP and doing quite well. So, you know, you, you just never know where players come from and you never know what their situation is. And, and to say someone plays at an Ohio Wesleyan or Christopher Newport and, you know, we're not going to take a look is, is wrong right. because the reality is there are so many players – everywhere and it's important to to never close the door on what a player can become
2: it's interesting what you said about there's so many pathways you look at the other sports there's pretty much it seems like there's one route you know like the nfl you got you got to go to college go to the draft and i'm sure that there are guys that you could pick up off the street that have made it but most of the guys go through the exact same pathway but in soccer you're right i feel like you're you can find a kid anywhere i mean it's just that type of sport um shifting gears a little bit here the college calendar you know what are your thoughts with that because there's a big discussion for a while there of making it year-round um, it's going to help kids become more professional I think that was the main goal you know obviously coaches wanted to coach more it's such a rat race we had a big discussion yesterday on the podcast about how the college game the season itself is like three months and it's go 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 you gotta win immediately yeah oh here here's your guys in 14 days you're gonna play a game that's gonna Possibly make or break you making the NCAA tournament or not. I mean, that's how it's how wild and just insane it can be. Versus your, you know, your model, the professional model, where it can go, you know, twelve months, eleven months. You know, you could space it out. You could actually really create a a pro environment. So, if you don't mind, kind of chat about what that college calendar looks like versus yours, and kind of the hope there, and how it might help. I mean, is there anything you've seen there?
1: Yeah, I'm a big proponent of doing it. You know, the, the year round calendar, I think, I think when, especially coming from like a Wake Forest, who's, you know, you look budgetary wise is, you know, stadium wise infrastructure. It, it has more than a lot of USL championship teams, you right. know, in terms of budgets, money, resources. You know, I talked to these guys and, and some of these players, they, they, they charter charter planes to games. Right. It's like you, right. you go from Winston-Salem to South Bend on a charter flight and, and you're, you're living like a MLS player. You're living like a top end guy where USL you're still, you know, going around. So I think I think college soccer is missing the boat. In terms of being a really, really relevant, even more relevant piece of the infrastructure of American soccer, I think when you look at the the, the stadiums, when you look at the fan bases, when you look at, you know, when I when I watch like an MLS Next Pro game, for example, and you know it's you know a younger league and they're trying to build that, but the the fans for a lot of these teams are five. 600 people a thousand people and you know you go to a uh, uva on a friday night against uh, duke and you know you're getting six seven thousand people you know it's you know and you go to college park right here and you know it's uh you know sash has his uh you know little fan club behind the goal and they're yelling at the goalkeeper i mean it, you, those atmospheres you can't replicate in some of these these like reserve leagues and whatnot so i think college soccer has a really huge opportunity but i also think If they don't take it sooner than later, they'll miss the opportunity because you have the MLS Next Pro coming. You have USL expanding. You have USL League One. And and I, I think it's important where if they could do it, it could be a really even better, like, If they did it the right way where it's year round and you don't have many midweek games and you're able to really develop players and train and you don't risk injury and you don't have spring where you have five games, six, if you have an international team, it it becomes a really viable option for. For MLS teams to put players in college really does, you know, because you, you, you can't replicate that, you know, in in some of these leagues. And I and I think it it would help everybody. And I just remember, like our, our, I think we talked about before, was you know preseasons ten days or twelve days, you know, and and it's um, you know, it's it's scary. I mean, there's there is a risk for injury, and there is a risk of um, you know struggling in school academically. And to be honest with you, we found at Wake Forest and even myself at Ohio Wesleyan, I struggled more in the spring with academics than I did in the fall because it was less structured. You know, yep. it, it's um, you know, it, it, you know, you have more free time and you're kind of like, well, what do I do now? And you're like, well, you know, it's um, it, you know, when you're on a schedule and you're doing things over and over, I think it's a really important time for growth for for people and for players. So I, I'm hoping it goes through. Uh, you know, I don't think it will, but I, I'm hopeful it does. You know, I think there's a lot of really big positives that could come from it. Um, you know, that, that would be, you know, I, I'm pushing people every time I talk to college coaches for sure. Yeah. And of course
2: you, you've got how many variables and how many unknowns, I mean, like look at the country in general, uh, I guess sort of changing a little bit now, but the mindset's always been, well, you got to get a degree. And so all right, well, these kids got to go get a degree, but then they got to pay for it. So now you're paying to be a professional player. So you got some oddities there. I know that you have the the scholarship option at the highest levels, of course, but it's not for everybody. And, then you know, no sport does year round. And what's the NCAA going to do, basically, is the question mark here. And so it just seems like because even if you had all the right answers, you're asking this big entity, the NCAA, to say, yeah, let's do this that we've never done for anybody ever before and let's completely change our model. And I just they haven't done that in anything else. I just can't imagine that. And then you got the unknowns with all the conference realignments, the big question marks going on with NIL and the amount of money being spewed into the especially the big dogs, the footballs, the basketballs, and uh so I I got I agree with you a hundred percent. I think that maybe the last opportunity is coming because it just it just seems like something's going to happen with this nil bubble, with all the conference realignment, with the big Alabamas and the Dukes and the basketballs and the footballs. It just kind of totally separate. I mean, how different are those programs than Ohio Wesleyan and CNU soccer? And we're under the same wow. umbrella. I mean, how wild is that? It's and awesome. uh, so it just seems like something's going to happen soon, and maybe the window then shows up for us to say, "All right, well now." all these division one kids somehow are getting full rides. Let's partner up with some professional thing going on at the same time for the top 50 schools or, you know, something, something might happen soon. It just seems like we're all looking around in the college world. Like, all right, there's no way we could stay the exact path. We're all going right now. It just seems too volatile and something. Something's going to happen. And uh, uh, I, I think you're right. I think for soccer, there has to be, you know, a few clear paths to get there. I mean, there's definitely any way, which is great, but I think that the college landscape could be way better to help out professional soccer, like it does in football, like it does in baseball, like it does in basketball. I, I think you're right. I think that there's some boat that we're missing to make soccer much more of a viable option for a pathway to the pros.
1: No, a hundred percent. And I think I think it's gonna be interesting, like you said, to see where it plays out, especially when you get like a you know a stand for in the ACC or something, right? It's like how is that going to work where you're traveling cross country and, and, right. and, you know, doing some different things there. And um yeah, and it's, yeah, there is a huge opportunity and I, I'm hopeful that, that, that the NCAA will, will help and kind of push it in the right direction because it, it would be a really good landing spot for so many people. And the number one complaint I always hear is I, I used to be in these surveys and stuff that players would do and, coaches would do and the number one complaint of like kids always wanting to go pro early is well the spring right or the summer you know, you know we're limited at what we can do and the number one thing about okay coaches well you're spring and you're summer you're limited what you can do and it's it's hard and the one I, I always even said was like an easy one to fix would be like so like I'll use the kid Adam Lundegaard from Clemson um, like he played for me before he went to Clemson he played actual matches for Loudon United. Then he went to Clemson, and because he's enrolled in Clemson, like if I wanted him to come and play and Mike Noonan wanted him to come and play five games in the summer, he no longer can and keep his eligibility. So it's, it's, it's like such a strange one where here he is. Like imagine if you went to Clemson and you play your 25 games in, this, in the fall, you play your six in the spring, but then you get 10 games over the summer in a USL 1 or USL Championship team or MLS Next Pro team. Like you just added ten massive ma- opportunities for these kids with, without even moving the schedule, but for some reason, um, for some reason that sh- that 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 has never crossed the plate as well. And I'm like, well, that could be an easy
0: one to change in theory, right? No, I get. Yeah. I mean, my son did an internship over the summer and got paid for it as a yeah. as a Division One athlete. I mean, what's the difference really? I mean, yeah, still yeah, getting I'm. Not, paid, I'm not even talking paying the kids. The kids yeah. would play for free. You right. know, if you can give them 10
1: games and cover their expenses, it's like, why? Well, you know, I don't see what the why they why can he play 15 games for me before Clemson? But once he enrolls, he can no longer even play in any games. But he can train every day.
0: Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Cheese, um, you got more? No, go ahead. OK, um, Ryan, I want to go back to uh, playing for your dad. And, um, you know, what that was like, how you guys turned it on, turned it off, you know, dad versus coach and and that sort of thing. Um, I know it was a little while ago, but I'm sure you have some fond memories of, of, uh, you know, growing up and, and then playing for him in college and, you know. Well, maybe yeah, for, maybe some good stories of getting benched or, or getting yelled <laughs> at or you know that sort of thing
1: <laughs> yeah there, there, there's a lot of those I mean I, I think it was one of those ones where you know first of all when I was looking through the process of some different things and, and different schools and opportunities you know when I grew up ohio Westing was really all I wanted to do but obviously you know when you step on a campus and your dad's the coach and different things it it does make things different. And so when I asked, you know, at the time, like Todd Yagley was, was playing for the crew and Jerry's a friend of my father's. And, you know, so I had a chance to speak with Jerry and, and Todd for a little bit before before really making the decision. And, you know, both of them were like, you know, it was the best decision we ever made. Was it the easiest? No, but it was the best decision, you know, that that we ever did. And, and when I look back on it, I, I think the same thing. It, it wasn't always easy. Um, and, and I think it's really difficult when you, when you're dealing with a kid who's 18 years old at the time or 19 and you're wondering why you're you know you're the coach your dad is is harder on you than he is on other people or he's benching you for something that the other guy next to you's done five times and you you know turn the ball over once and you're off and, and you're like trying but it's hard as an 18 year old to really process it so I don't think I fully but fully understood it probably until I was uh like 21 or junior senior then I was like ah it makes sense of why he was being harder on me and then it makes even more sense now when you when when I'm reflecting on the whole thing I'm like yeah yeah, I, I was like that's leadership you know 201 at that point but but I didn't understand it because I was too young and naive and and too trying to figure out myself and how to get involved but um yeah, he, he was definitely harder on me, which, which I appreciate now, you know, at the time was difficult, you know, for me, you know, we had some tremendous moments like my senior year, we went 22 and O and, and, you know, I think, you know, we didn't end up making really a run in the tournament, but we, we went 22 and O and we ended up at that point, he's won so many games. I can't remember. I think it was his 500th win was like our 22nd win. So we had to go perfect in order for me to be a part of one of his, you know, 100 wins or whatever and mm-hmm. me when I look back that was a really special moment to you know celebrate that to win a conference championship and and do it all together on the same night it was great you know we we you know he's a big proponent of, of taking the teams to Germany and doing some different things there so when I reflect you know that was and I think when you asked 90% of Ohio Wesleyan players that the Like the Germany trip is always like one of their top ones there. And then then I think just the the sense of family and community that that he put together. I remember I went to the – I was in – I was in Sarasota recruiting at the Academy showcase in 2012 when he won the national championship in San Antonio. And, and uh, you know, we were waiting to see if he won the semis and, and you know, uh, and Jay Vidovich who was a coach at Pitt was also a UU alum and, and some different things there. So once he won the uh, you know, and you know, obviously in division three, you don't get the day off in between. It's back to back. So he wins the game and, and we immediately booked tickets to fly out there. But, not only did we we fly out there but but there was like 200 250 alums there like that didn't have a kid playing didn't have a you know you know they had skin in the game which was the jersey which which was you know incredible so i think when i look back at that that was like my first real like aha like this is a, a culture like this is like a true environment of like uh uh, you know, and, and at that point it was, you know, I was four years into my coaching career. So I was, you know, and I was probably a second assistant at that point. And, and then I'm like, Oh, well, here he is, you know, at that point, I think he's 46 years into it or something. So at that point you, you would call it, you know, 34. I mean, when you have that many people come back and into, you know, San Antonio, which is not an easy place to come to. And, and, right. and, and all of a sudden it's uh, all together. It's, it's a, it's it was unlike anything I've ever seen in terms of you know how to build like this is what a culture is. So you know to this day it's still you know something I'm very proud of that I, I played for him and you know I'm very fortunate I you know scored a lot of some goals and assists and had a decent career. But you know I think the biggest one was you know a lot of what I've taken in my journey to coaching and then you know some of the the great milestones the trip to Germany and then. The aha of what culture and environment is moment was, uh, you know, something that will stick with me, you know, to this day.
2: Yeah, I think mean, we we joked around a little bit about how many wins he's had, and uh, I mean, I, how do you ever pass that? I'm, I think it's 762 now. And uh, just to put that in perspective, if you win 20 games a season, you played college soccer. I mean, yeah. how many did you win your national championship year at Wake? Around 20, probably. 22, 2022, right. yeah. Somewhere but that around. was to win the national title. I mean, that's oh, just yeah. how that's how hard it is. You get 20 games total, and it's soccer. You're, it's it's hard to win. And right. you would need 38 of those seasons of 20 wins, and you're still a little short of 762. I mean, it's oh. just a bizarre way to think about it. I mean, <laughs> I'm five years into my career, and I'm like, man, I think I have to be like 140 before I pass him probably. I mean, that's
1: just oh, – it's see, unreal. It's incredible and and, like I said, the fact that you know I get these calls you know after a loss or something and and I'm like, hey, am I too old to connect with these guys and i'm like <laughs> I'm like well yeah you, you know this is your second loss, you're fifteen and two i, I go i I think you're doing all right yeah.
0: um, and, just,
1: and, and um, then we and then my wife and I taught him how to use Instagram, so now he's uh <laughs> now now he's on top of the world now he's gonna coach for another ten years. Oh, man. <laughs>
2: Man, that's incredible. That's great. You know, one of
1: my favorite things about your
2: dad is when he he came out here to play us one year. They had just won uh was it 2011? What was the year they won the the second national title? 2000 It
1: was it was either 11 or 12. I, I
2: can't remember which one it was. Well, we were their opening game the next year. We'd scheduled it earlier in the season, and then they won the national title, and we yeah. finished in the Elite 8. And yeah. so we were like, "Oh, oh, that's oh right. man, yeah. we're we're opening with the number 1 team in the country right here at home." I and mean, it was a huge crowd. What a awesome environment. We were so pumped. Uh, He doesn't travel with the team. Brandon travels the team. Yeah, he flies in separately, rolls in brings out his conductor chair. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I've got a ways to go as an assistant coach here. That is that's where I need to get to conductor chair and and the golf cart on campus. I mean, I I haven't made it yet. No, not. I
1: think I think my mom even got his uh, name embroidered in the back now. Yeah, that's uh,
2: impressive. Yeah,
1: impressive. <laughs> yeah I, I wouldn't. I couldn't pull it off. I'm like, <laughs> I am think you can only pull it off when you win that much. So, uh, wow. yeah, it's, it's funny. There's a lot of people that like give some jokes. And you know, like Chris Brown, when I was at when I went up to a camp with him, there was John Moody at the time was at Berkshire. And we did a camp and Xander Jones, who played for my dad, was at Salisbury at the point up in the in northeast. But we were all having dinner one night. And Chris Brown goes, he goes, I, you know, I can't believe it goes the first game. Same story first game he pulls out he goes he didn't even pull it out he goes he had four freshmen set up this conductor <laughs> on the sideline and then he gets in and, and like everybody looks at him like he's uh he's like the the king and I'm like well, he fought a lot of games and yeah yes well, you know, what are you gonna
2: say to him
0: yeah you, you going to
2: say to him you're doing it wrong yeah you know, like I like, right. can't it's impressive
0: yeah yeah
2: that's good stuff
0: um go back to the lesson like you you pointed out a few mentors, and the lesson that you learned from your dad was, um, you know, player over or uh, person over player. Um, and talk about what that means to you, and and you know how he exemplified that, and how you're kind of using that now.
1: Yeah, I I think so. So he again, and they've renovated like his office and stuff, obviously, because he's been there longer than most of the school. But um, like when I was there in, in, in the past, he used to have his office and then like a big conference room in the middle. And basically it would be an area where the soccer players would go in between classes and hang out and catch up and this and that. But he would always be really good about grabbing a player and, and having a 10-minute chat or a five-minute chat and catching up on, on life. And, and I think that's important when, you know, you know having worked in the university and having been 18 many years ago and, and, and that type of thing is the – the, the players are always going through something you know whether that's something at home or a, a breakup with a you know girlfriend or a bad grade on a test or the expectations of you know parents or you know whatever it might be and he was always very good about finding it finding what what was going in somebody's mind but more importantly giving advice through his own his own lens and what he's been through to to help and try to um to to help not motivate, but to help ease the player or give them guidance of where they can, can, you know, deal with different pains and traumas and different things that have happened or something silly and, and try to refocus and reframe. So I think, you know, that was always really big in terms of, of, his culture and how he created it and bringing players in. I think the other one is, you know, he he always did a really good job of of setting goals with players and sitting down with them and, and trying to help them map it out and, you know, really get to the bottom of, you know, season-long goals, but more importantly, like, the ones that, that, you know, I always thought were better than the season-long goals were, like, the game goals and setting up, you know, how are you going to be successful today? And were you successful? Were you not successful? How can you, you know, do that? And I think it's important where, you, you know, what are the values? You know, what are the different people and what they want to do? And I think he gives a lot of ownership to the players and, uh, and you know, some – we found out are are not ready for it and others are, but I think that's part of the learning lesson and the growth of of why you have two hundred and fifty people coming to San Antonio, Texas in a game. It's like they do have a sense of ownership and pride of what they're doing and whether that's, you know, cleaning up trash around the, you know, now J Martin soccer complex or, you know, doing, you know, laundry, like the players to this day still do the laundry for the team and, and uh, they clean up the locker room and they have different crews that do it. And it's, it's a, you know, all for one mentality. And I think, you know, he's always um, looked at, at who the person is and then, you know, why are they struggling and there'd be some games where he would play a guy probably longer than he should have but but to then he'd come back and and he'd be like well you know he's going through this his mom you know is sick or whatever it is and he's trying to you know give give benefit out that way or he's trying to do different things to support and 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 um you know, give the person or give him an extra bit of feedback on the field or grab him aside. So like those type of things were always um, really unique about who he is and I think how he got the most out of each person and player and still has a relationship with most of them. Even guys that, to be honest with you, like this can sound crazy that he cut or guys that only played a year or guys that played two like on it they still call or they they still have like there's a guy in Leesburg actually that like saw in the grocery store at Wegmans the other day and and I think he played two years and he's like I still follow Ohio Wesleyan soccer and I, I follow your career I follow your dad's career and I'm like oh you know that's strange but I, I go that's great I mean it, it really is different
0: yeah it speaks to the impact huh that you're yeah, that, yeah. um go ahead geez. I see you chomping there. Oh, you're on mute, by the way.
1: Yeah, the old, the old, the old Zoom uh, COVID days, mute. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my guys
2: are running back and forth. They're about to go to weightlifting, so it got pretty noisy in here. I just, <laughs> totally spaced. Uh, no, I, I, I have nothing. I was writing notes. Uh, you know, like that's why one of my early questions was, uh, "What'd you learn over there?" And here, here I am listening to you talk about your dad. I'm like, "Oh yeah, this is what Jay was doing. This is this how I get my golf cart." You know, so. Uh, <laughs> No, I mean what you talk about is that's why we do what we do, right? I mean, uh not not many of us are getting rich doing what we do. We just uh we love the impact, we love being around these kids and uh uh at all the levels. I mean, we've all coached a little bit of club, a little bit of college, and it's I coached high school a little bit. You you're now dealing with young kids in the pro levels. I mean, it's just there's more to it than just the game and uh you know, we if you don't relate to them that way, it's it's going to be it doesn't make it as fun. It's just a job at that point. And so, you know, I It's cool to think about, you know, yeah, all the wins, all the fun stuff that your dad did. But at the same time, it's like that guy, when he goes, is going to probably have 10,000 people at this funeral. And they're all going to be ex-players like, oh, man, just telling cool stories. And, uh, you know, that's just that's just really that to me is all of the success. That's the true measure of his success.
1: No, and I, I think, you know, when you look back, you know, Division Three, Division One, professional, international, it's like there's so many good coaches out there and good people out there that are doing a good job, and, um, you know, and I think you hit it on the head there. It's like the, the, it always comes down to what is your why and why are you doing what you're doing, and I think that, you know, if you – in my estimation, the people that I've mentioned in terms of my mentors or people that I really value what they do, it it really comes down to, you know, making a difference in a kid or a person's life and and trying to help be honest with them, help them improve. And it's the love of the game, you know, and I think if, if you can accomplish those, and when I you know, walk into work every day. Okay. Can I be honest? Can I help this kid grow as a person or player and, you know, have fun today? That's the reality. And whether that's Ohio Wesleyan or, or Greg at the national team or me at Loudon or Nico at, uh, you know, FC Dallas, it, it really is the same, you know, and I think it's, um, you know, we all have different, you know, headaches that we all deal with. You know, your headaches are different than mine and my dad's are different than his that are different than Jay Vidovich's and John Hark's. But the reality is if we stick to those principles as coaches, it, it's, there's never really a truly bad day.
0: Yeah. Yep, that's very true. Um, talk a little bit about like uh, shifting gears a little bit to – a youth player, you know, looking to go play in college, but has the ultimate goal of playing pro. And you know, what are some of the common um, attributes and habits that those kids have that are able to go from, you know, playing at a club team their junior year through college, and then to becoming to come into play for you or, or or beyond?
1: Yeah, I think when when you when you first look at it, I think it comes down to. It, 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 before anything it comes down to like really how hard they they want to work and how much they love what they do you know and i think most people that i found that are successful going either from college to the pros or directly from you know high, it's like do they really love the game and, and and at that point it means are you willing to be resilient and stand up and go again when you're bench is it doesn't it mean you know when when your number's not called That you work extra hard that week when you get negative feedback or something that you don't want to hear. And, 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 because most of these kids across their whole life have always been told how good they are, you know, when you're told, Hey, yeah, you, your passing was poor, you, your way your final pass was really bad. We've got to improve this. Here's some things we can do. Are you willing to really work on it, listen to it, and, and execute it? So I think when I look at kids, and I always used to, when I was at Wake Forest, would always go look at the warm-ups, and it was almost a lot more important than it would be for, uh, you know, really for for the game, because you can see what do they do when nobody's really looking you know what is their interaction with their teammates what are their is their interaction with the trainer what are their interactions you know I, and I I try to do the same here now when I when I look at a pro game you know pro player I'd like to go to trainings if I can because for me it, what are their habits you know and I think when I look at players that have really either made it through college or gone to college and will make it afterwards, it, it really is that, the, the common desire to to succeed and to deal with adversity and setbacks. Um, I think those are probably the, the biggest key traits that, that I can always take away for, for kids trying to make it. And, and I, I think it's important where kids have to also understand is, there are late developers, and there are guys that are more ready at 14 that don't make it at, at 18, and there, there are more guys that are, you know, don't make it till they're 24. You know, when you look at, you know, the the best example is uh, the U.S. goalkeeper, right? It's like, you know, I, I think he gave up like 16 goals in, uh, you know, a high school game, and then he played at Fairfield, and you know, now he's in the Premier League. and And say what you want about it, you know, but, um, you know, Matt Turner's. A prime example of it. It's like that. Really, is a a a player that has not succeeded, given up sixteen goals in one game, wasn't recruited, and and he and he ended up making it. You know, I think you know. You even look at basketball, where you know Steph Curry. You know, when he was down in North Carolina, it's like. To I showed it to my players the other day about what his potential, and it's like, well, you know, he was un, un you know underrated in almost every aspect of what he actually does well at this point in his career. That no one would have believed he would have made it. And he went through Davidson, which is not really obviously a, a basketball hotbed, but he ends up being,
0: uh, you know, one of the best players ever to play.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's good message. Yep. Um, the other thing I was going to ask was about your other two guys that you listed as mentors and, and um, kind of the same question that I asked about your dad. and And, you know, the – the lesson that you learned that you took away from each of those guys, you know, Jay Vitovich and, you know, uh, kind of, I think you talked about like building team identity and how important that is. And then, you know, relating it back to how does a kid evaluate a college program? Uh, you know, how, where is, how does that fit in culture wise and how do you evaluate that? Um, so kind of a two part, like, Go back to the message that you learned and how, how you see that being played out in a program when a kid's looking at a college program.
1: Yeah, so, so I think, you know, when I look at like a Jay Vidovich, for example, I think on the field in terms of, you know, his style of play and the way he wants to, you know, attack, dominate games and, and be a proactive team. I, I think when I look back at the attention to detail in training especially on an individual level, was, was far above anything I've seen, to, honestly, to this day in, in the pro world when I go overseas, et cetera. You know, and, I, and I, when I look back at my notes that I took when I was with him, it, it really is, is like, here is the attention to detail necessary to break down. A team, an individual, a unit, and here's how you can really try to help them improve. And, and I think when you look at his track record of player development, you know, first and foremost, obviously winning, he's been tremendously successful, but player development, you know, I don't think there's a better coach that's put more players in the professional game than he has. And when you look at some of the guys like we had a kid called Sam Fink who who played for St. Louis FC for like seven years. He was honestly a, a walk-on player and, and, you know, and he was one of the kids I just talked about similar to, you know, he just loved the game. He was a junkie and, and, you know, would listen to everything you would say, eat it up and became a pro player. And at one point, I think his last year, he was U S open cup player of the tournament, you know, for the lower divisions and they went on a great run, you know, so, so, for him, it's like, I still have notes and notes and notes of, okay, here's, you know, what you're looking for, a team that presses, a team that doesn't, how do you build out? What does your structure look like? So he was meticulous in that. And you know, it, I'd get texts at 4am and, and it'd, it'd be like a blog post of Bielsa trying to, you know, get in behind a back three that, you know, like that doesn't like to press or doesn't like to build. So it'd be a little bit more direct and he's working on how to spring in behind. So it, he was just a different way of thinking that really stretched you. Um, And he would never give you the answers, which helped me as a coach. It frustrated me at the time, but he'd always be, uh, well, you know, what do you think first? And then you'd have to answer and then it'd be a critique. And it was always like, you always felt like you're being tested, which wasn't dissimilar to what Greg was like as well. When I did my job interview with Greg, um, he brought me into his room, like this office, him and Asher were sitting there and he goes, how does the Columbus crew press? And he goes. We're playing Red Bull. Draw, draw the press up on the board, and then you know, okay, we're playing, uh, you know, so and so on the weekend. Give me three exercises that you think will work, and why, and and what is the purpose of why you're trying to do it. And I was like, oh, wow, this is uh, this is different, you know. So <laughs> I, I think like those two guys had a lot of that type of stuff in in terms of you know similarities. And I think when when you you ask about kids looking at different colleges, I, I, I think. So you got the NIL and different things that make it more difficult. But I think the best part about college coaches in this or college players and college uh, systems in this current landscape is YouTube, Internet, video. You can watch how a team plays in, in a matter of seconds. I can Google Christopher Newport 2023 goals on YouTube, and I bet I would find 12 videos or 50, not just from each goal. I'm sure you scored more than 12 goals, but, uh, (laughs) um, but, but I, I, you, you can go and see it in minutes and you can say, well, I like the way they play here. I don't like the way they play there. And I think it's important to always ask, where do you see me and how will I fit in? And most importantly, it's like, um, you know, I, I think players can ask coaches, where do you, um, you know, where? how do you see me developing? How do you see me growing? And how, how can I become a better player under under you? You know, how? and then I think it becomes an open conversation for the player and the coach of, well, how do you receive criticism? How do you accept criticism and use it to develop? And, and, it, and I think that's probably a healthy way of looking at it. And I think the more you can have interactions with the coach and have a conversation, I, I think helps players understand what
0: the next four years will be like. Very cool. Yeah, that's a great answer. Um, I know it's it's been about an hour, so I want to be respectful of your time. I know that you have other stuff to do today. So um, uh, anything else to add, Ryan, before we get you out of here?
1: No, I, I would just, you know, I would encourage players to, you know, regardless of where they are right now is to really invest in themselves as, as players and people. And, and, and when one door shuts, there's always other doors open, as long as you're willing to work and, and become better for it. And, and I think that's where, you know, I'm probably at this moment, I, I think one of the biggest proponents of college soccer in the professional game. Um, and my belief of, of what, the college system can do for a person and a player. And I think it's important that, um, you, you know, players don't say just because I'm going to college, I'm, I'm done go you know, pro, or just because I'm, you know, I, I went pro and it didn't work in my first club. It's so important where how do you handle adversity? How do you how do you how do you become resilient and always bet on yourself? So I just say, you know, for young players and people out there, invest in themselves and bet on yourself, and and I think it will go a long way to shape your your career.
0: Awesome, hey, uh,
2: Ryan. What are you guys doing opening weekend in uh, in March? We're up there for the Loudon Showcase i was hoping I can. Uh, if you guys are around, I'm just hoping I can swing by and spend some time with the with you guys in the office. Kind of see how you guys do business.
1: Yeah, always open. Uh, March 16th is our home opener. Oh, so you'll be home, you think, early March. We'll be home. Um, oh, we'll, we'll be home early March. We're in San Antonio on the 9th, home on the 16th. Fantastic. All right, I'll reach out leading up to that. So yeah, should be by. tax. Always more than welcome to have you in and whatever I can do to help. And and uh, yeah, please let me know. Yeah,
0: love it. Thank you. Awesome. Ryan, I can't thank you enough and um, hopefully get you on here again, but um, best of luck to you this this upcoming season and and sorting all that out with, uh, you know, the short lead up to uh, (laughs) the first preseason match.
1: Yeah, yeah. Now, well, like I said, it's always a learning environment and all you can do is, uh, you know, see where you are on day one and hopefully you're better by uh, March 9th. That's the hope. (laughs)
0: That's great.
1: No, well, Scott, Justin, appreciate it, guys.
2: Yeah, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good seeing you. Bye.
1: Bye.
0: Take care. Thank you for listening to the Tales from the Trail podcast by Matchplay. If you're enjoying the podcast and find it valuable, please consider visiting buymeacoffee.com slash matchplay. These small donations collectively help offset costs and other expenses associated with production of the podcast so I can continue to offer this service for free. Please take an extra minute to rate and review the podcast where you listen. This is a huge help. Share the podcast with whomever you think would be interested and will help in their process. Check us out on matchplayrecruit.com for our social media links. See you on the trail.